You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And we are back from the long holiday. We took a break. We took an episode off. I've noticed that everything changes and the internet tries to change everything, Tracy. And now the internet's trying to tell me that Thanksgiving dinner and turkey doesn't actually make you sleepy. What? No, that's like the received wisdom of North American late November. How? It's crazy. How can it's that... crazy. I, I, uh, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. I guess. I guess not. But anyway, we're back. Yes, we are. And and of course, we have a guest. And yes. we're, go- we're going international this week, which is always fun. Uh, we've got CJ Cook, which uh, CJ, you're coming to us from Glasgow, are you not? Yes. Yes, I am. All right. At five o'clock in the evening. Yeah, it's a very civilized time. That's not that bad. We've had people be like, yeah, it's 2 a.m. here. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that was our Tasmanian guest not, not terribly long ago, which we felt really bad about because no one had told us he was in Tasmania until after, you know, the, the Zencaster recording is, is beginning and he's sitting there with, with the hoodie up and oh, everything is dark. And then it's sort of the, the marble dropped at that point. And we're like, oh, no. <laughs> It's, it's, you're in, you're in the netherworld, aren't you? (laughs) So 5 p.m. is not that bad. We're, we're, but we're glad that you can join us. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to. It's, it's, it's dark though. It's December, right? So it's, it's oh Lord, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point, it's like the sun goes down and then around 6, 6.30, you're sitting there going, oh, I should go to bed. It must be 11 million o'clock by now. And then you look at the time and you're like, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. 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 I, um, I'm, I'm a school teacher. And when I leave the building now, uh, which is typically about 4.30 or 5 in the evening, it's, it's often already dark, yeah. like altogether dark before I'm yeah. even getting in the car, which is just at that point, it's like I... I feel like a mole person, really. Like I've like I, I think I've become a Morlock. Like I just sort of like, it's not, this isn't good. A mole good. person, yeah. Hard relate to that. I'm, I'm very, I'm yeah. very confused. You said some things. You said words that you put them together in a sentence, but they don't belong together. I'm not sure what they mean. You said <laughs> when you leave the building. Mm. What does that yes. mean? Yeah, well, see, not not all of us are continuing our our work from home saga, of course. As, ah. as you're, uh, yes, yes. Now, before we, I, I don't want to lose track of the plot here, but you know, CJ, you you teach as well, or or have taught as well. I don't know if it's if it's present tense for you. Yeah, so I'm faculty at the University of Glasgow, so mm-hmm. um, wow. I teach uh, the MLit in creative writing, and um, yeah. yeah, mostly postgraduate students. I've been there for about seven years. Oh, that's fantastic! That's yeah. fantastic. It's lovely. It's a really lovely campus, actually. It's very like Hogwarts, um, but I'm I'm still quite home based. Mm-hmm. I think with um with all that's going on, so. It's been a very long time since I was in Glasgow, but I, w- I was there in 2001, and um, it was because I had been doing a study abroad in Ireland at the time. I was I was studying at NUI Galway in 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 uh, the Republic, and we got to the end of the term, and everyone, all the American students who had come uh, to study abroad, were doing the thing where they're going to you know they're like I'm already most of the way to the continent. I'm just going to go to Europe and sort of you know blow what's yeah. left of my yeah. savings for the last couple of weeks before I go back to the states. And I had this like conviction that like no, I'm really going to do sort of where I am, and had done long weekends like all over the north and and the Republic during the course of the time I was in Ireland. 
And I decided, like, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Scotland. I'm going to do a long week in Scotland. And so I made Glasgow my base of operations, and then traveled everywhere from there. Oh, and it was great fun. Glasgow was very yeah. good to me. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's a great city. It's it's super vibrant. There's loads going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Edinburgh is not that far. I was I was in mm-hmm. Edinburgh yesterday actually signing some books. So yeah, it's um it's so lovely. There's there's loads. We relocated here. I had been commuting for a while mm-hmm. from north the northeast of England because um, we lived near the beach and our kids were settled. So I I just commuted. But we we moved here two years ago right before lockdown. So we still kind of feel like we haven't seen as enough of, yeah. of Scotland. We haven't had that chance to explore because. For a while, we weren't permitted to travel well, for a long time. We couldn't travel outside uh, like five miles radius Oof. of our home. <clears throat> so, yeah, yeah. lots so of small sea. Yeah. Well, I don't want to bury the lead here because you did mention going to Edinburgh to sign books. And I'm sure that the, the Lighthouse Witches, which came out September, is among yeah. them. Yes. yes. So yes. I... I remember being pitched the book and as as a, a chance for you to to come on and join us, and I thought to myself, like this just sounds wonderful. So charm the audience as you have charmed me, CJ. <laughs> yes, well, I should I should say a little bit about what the book is about. The Lighthouse, which is a set in Scotland, and it's uh, it's actually set on a remote island of Scotland, a fictional island on the east coast, and it concerns a family. Uh, headed by a single parent, single mother, Liv, who has three daughters, and she is an artist and has has been commissioned to paint a mural inside a lighthouse on this island. And when she moves there, she finds that um, all is not as it seems, all is not well with this island and this lighthouse. And it has a history in particular of witches or, or, or witch trials whereby in the 1600s, as was actually the case in Scotland, um, there was a group of women who were accused falsely of practicing witchcraft and were executed. And that history collides, I suppose, with the present moment and a lot of dark secrets are unearthed. So from purely historical curiosity there, what time period were the actual historical accusations of witchcraft? I'm really interested. For quite a while, actually. So it kind of began in Scotland. And although uh, witch trials were rampant across Europe, Scotland was actually the worst in Europe in terms of the sort of um, barbarity the, the the level of of cruel cruelty in torture, and the the number of men and women who were executed. So Scotland was was quite a. I didn't realize this um, until quite a while ago, but it was quite a um, a hot seat in terms of this. But it had sort of started in 1597 when wow. King James the Sixth blamed trip at sea when his fiance was traveling from Norway to Edinburgh actually by ship and there was a very um there was very bad weather and uh, the ship nearly went under and he blamed uh, a group of women a, a coven he said both in Iceland and Edinburgh and so so began the North Berwick witch trials and then he seems to have become wrapped up in being an enemy to Satan and wrote demonology which is a sort of book uh-huh. about uh, witchcraft and which um, all things witchy and very disturbingly makes 
gendered speculations that women are more susceptible. So we have in Scotland, 84% of the people that we know, I mean, the research is still ongoing, but about 84% were women. And there, so that we have this mission over the next 200 years to stamp out these pagan practices. There's a lot, wow. there's a lot of play here. There's because obviously magic was part of everybody's lives. They, they did believe in Satan. When you have these conf confessions and mm -hmm. air commas of people uh, confessing to dancing with Satan and turning into a cat and so on and so forth people believed this so this was very much the way you know society worked I, I guess in terms of writing the book I was very interested in that mindset and I was interested in the kind of society that would believe you know that people could you know be carried away by the fairies or would speak to Satan and plot to do all sorts of terrible things and the kind of society that you know would enable scapegoating on such a scale because yeah. that's precisely what happened but i i think very very broadly and you know cutting to the chase i think there's a lot that you know you, you can surmise at what was actually going on there was an attempt to create a new world order if you like so the yeah. old pagan uh ways and even the sort of there was a lot against catholics so the certain belief systems there was a war against those so it wasn't just, yeah, it, it was scapegoating. It wasn't just that there was this earnest belief that yeah. people were uh, practicing witchcraft and the devil was running rampant. And obviously with 84%, you know, it's a huge tally of women and girls. And often you find that these people were imprisoned for, for months, sometimes, sometimes years. I remember there was a, a case with a girl who was imprisoned at 13 and she was released at no she sorry she was executed at 18 mm -hmm. and so she had spent all that time in you know the most awful torturous conditions so for me there was a lot as i researched that seemed to speak to the present um and a lot of silences i kept coming coming across research that when i would go to the site was not visible and I really questioned why this was just not made more of. Mm -hmm. So I was I was interested in telling those stories and still am. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's crazy that as a as a species, we were we were so susceptible to that kind of stuff. I'm so glad that today, you know, we don't just believe any weird thing that people say or go off on odd. And certainly we are cured of that. Well, actually we're not. I know I'm being sarcastic. We're being, we're being ironic. We're being very ironic. But but even in terms of witchcraft, what's yeah. what's fascinating is there are still parts of the world where this you know that um, people are being accused and it's taken seriously and you know so there's there's uh, you can see that there's a there's a reason why we it's important we still have these conversations because in at at the beginning in my mind you know. We are now a rational society. We don't believe in such things. We don't yeah, believe in witchcraft, yeah. etc. But it's not the case everywhere. But you're right. Um, yeah, it it was it was really kind of striking to to read about the, the sort of frenzy and the um, overarching sort of ideological narrative and 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 how that yeah you know, I was seeing that playing out 
and still do <laughs> on you know on social media and in, in our society yeah um you know it's 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 quite quite frightening were, were you surprised that it was as vehement as it was there like is this is this an instance where you thought i know that this happened elsewhere i didn't think it could happen here yeah i, th- I think um you know, I really love Scotland and we love living here. And sure. as I said, Sc- uh, Glasgow is just a wonderful place. And I traveled to all these different parts of, of the country uh, during the research process. So, yeah, it's it's um, it is sad, I guess, to to see that there is such a you know, there's such a dark part of its history. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we'd all like to imagine ourselves to be exempt of that somehow yeah, exactly um, but, but yeah patrick you're right well i, I was just gonna say i, I i've never made a the secret of the fact that my family is is very southern right mm-hmm. we're, we're my mom's my mom's kin are from kentucky but i grew up in california which is completely different <laughs> culturally and i remember when i moved to tennessee for a job i i was actually very worried I was worried about moving to the South because I had seen and read about the stuff that happens there. And eventually I ended up in Chattanooga and Chattanooga was a very diverse place, like just culturally everything. And I yeah. never ran into the things that I was afraid I was going to run into. And someone yeah. who lived there actually told me and had lived there for a very long time said, well, Chattanooga is also very artsy. There's there's a big music scene. There's a big art scene. It's yeah. it's the people, right? It's just yeah. different. Yeah. But I kind of get what you're saying. It's like I I had these. Uh, I was afraid. <laughs> I was afraid, yeah. and then it ended up being a great place to live. Yeah. And and I didn't see the the kinds of uh, racism and stuff that I was afraid that I was going to run into like every single day of my life there never yeah. really happened. But it, it kind of goes to what you're the question that I asked and what you're saying. It's like, you, you think it, I love where I'm living, it couldn't have happened here. Yeah. But you yeah. know, if you go back far enough, you will find where it did. Yeah, it, it, it is that thing, isn't it? If you dig into your family history, you might come across some, you know, connections and, and ancestors that you're not proud of. And it makes you <laughs> Yeah, you, you maybe don't want to dig too much because it, it doesn't fit with your ideal narrative or, or, or picture. But I think it's it's important to confront the past. And um, there is a, a kind of project at the minute called Witches of Scotland, and they're trying to get a an apology for the, the people who were executed. And I really think that's very important because even in a historical sense you know that when you do the research you think it's not actually just the numbers of I mean of course it was horrific to imagine anyone being executed and going through that trial of you know they're completely innocent and and yet they're 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 being their lives are being taken for this uh, false sort of belief but actually their whole families would have been and generations would have been affected. You know, you have research data that shows that the, the poor records, whenever they're sort of accounting for who was given support as a, a person in poverty and who was turned away. And sometimes the reason for who was turned away was because they were the son or daughter of an accused witch wow. or the grandchild wow. of. So 
and and also they had that trauma they had no way of of remembering their loved one there was no grave to mourn at there was no you know that their memory was forever tainted and as a very christian society who believed heavily in their in the afterlife they also didn't go to heaven so you couldn't even imagine them in this better place so i just think all of that you know we need to speak to that we need to be that sort of society that can confront the past yeah. and i do yeah. think there are kind of well there are direct resonances i mean the term which is very is a gender term we think of women and it's still used as a as a weapon that term against women i mean as recent as what 2016 and hillary clinton campaign is being called witch you know so I think all of that, we need to unpick that because there are connotations in the present moment that are quite important um, in terms of those ongoing uh, gender inequalities. I think as well, uh, some time ago in in talking about the background uh, for your story, you mentioned all the different sorts of narratives that were being used to accuse people, the idea that they could transform themselves into a cat or that they were dancing with the devil or that they could summon fairies or things of that nature. And one of the things about this this idea that uh, a highly Christian and a, and a highly uh, belief-driven community is very happy to cherry-pick folklore for the benefit of a certain narrative that it wants to construct. That folklore stops being its enemy and starts becoming its tool if there are certain people that they want to see punished or sidelined or disenfranchised. And particularly, you know, Scotland has a very rich and deep folkloric history. It is, it is a land that is full of many ancient stories of different sorts of beings and places that are imbued with significance and resonance. And so it, although I, I too never knew any of this about it, it as a, as a historical fact, all the, the witch trials and the deaths associated with them, it doesn't really surprise me now that I'm sort of piecing things together because of what you said. There's kind of the perfect pressure cooker of this, this extremely active religious community that is also deeply rooted in a folkloric past and is also contending with who has political power and who has societal power and what are we going to do to take control of that? Yeah, it's it's actually what I find very interesting is the sort of duality of when we think of power, because one of the the ways we think of witches is, is, is women with power. And there is this sort of this urge to disempower them because they couldn't even speak at their own trials and they, so they couldn't give evidence and uh you know even if if they had confessed there's so much to indicate that that was um presented to them so they were they were tortured and, and sometimes their own family would be tortured in front of them to extract a confession but the confession would be presented to them or, or verbalized to them and they would kind of um either sort of nod or, or or whatever but that sort of political element to it i think is is so i wouldn't say fascinating but it's something to take note of but it, i think there's an education to be had in in studying yeah. the past and particularly yeah. this moment in terms of you know even our own sort of political situation all over the world so yeah, yeah it's, it's it, that's that idea of scapegoating i think really haunts me mm-hmm. and i i continue to see that happening now 
So I, I want to throw a little bit of a curveball, if everyone's okay with that, because I, I do want to get sort of into the book itself. One of the uh, critical comments on it that I thought was really interesting that I said, I have to talk to CJ about this because I don't even know what this means, is Elle magazine praises the book as grip lit at its best. And I've never heard of grip lit before. What on earth is this? <laughs> Actually, that is not for the, the Lighthouse Witches, that review. Oh, all Elle right. Magazine. That was for a few books ago. See, yeah. I was just, yeah. just blurring your cover with the grip lit. Yeah. But yeah, I think that was a kind of, it, this, that was my book in 2017. And that was, yeah. um, it was called I Know My Name. Mm-hmm. And it was much more straight psychological thriller. But yeah, I think grip lit was sort of a term of, I don't know, I guess as a play it's on gripping shit, but... and it's literature. Hey guys, <laughs> <Yeah>. it's <Catholic. laughs> yes, it's it's that, That's you amazing. Know, it, uh, the the whole the whole scapegoating persecution thing gets replayed everywhere. Yeah, it's not. It, unfortunately, it's not just about persecution against witches. Or, I mean, it's it's throughout our history, right? It's. It's the idea that you, the, the, the wise woman, the, the medicine woman, any kind of woman who knows herb lore or has any sort of power or influence has to be taken down. I think actually what the, what the records indicate is there, there would have been a lot of sort of healers and, and, and such like within that society and they were valued so actually it wasn't just people who were actually practicing um anything it was it was a lot of these trials and and subsequent executions were so sometimes it's so ridiculous to read how people would end up being on trial um it would literally be someone uh would have a quarrel with someone and then they would fall sick sure. and they would say, oh, they hex me. me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, in one awful case, it's really been on my mind uh, from Orkney, Alison Balfour. She was the servant of a man who um, was was accused of, and it, and it seems he did, try and poison his brother. And so she's just the servant and she gets caught up in this, this accusation the, the guy who's accused and who likely did poison his brother gets off. But she is in, she is tortured and her family is tortured and then she's executed. And so there's nothing to indicate that she was practicing any herbal anything. It's just she gets caught up in it. So and, and there's also um, uh, another sort of uh, trial that was held very close to my home. I'm pointing as if, you know, you can see where I'm <laughs> going. You can see it in the backyard. <laughs> Back in my kitchen. That's yeah, the garden right now. Yeah. 20 minutes down the road, there's a, yeah, a, a number of people. There is, it's called Gallows Green. And, uh, but at first there were dozens of people who were, um, this uh, 11 year old made an accusation that they were cursed and named all these people. But a lot of them were able to buy their way out of execution so they had enough money to get out of it but mm-hmm. the poor people did not so there was a lot i i, I think it's all corruption it's corruption of course it is it's it's yeah and, and it's, as, a, as a mother of a 10 and a half year old i have to say like i mean she would 
she would claim that a witch had hexed her just to not go to school in the morning. So I, know, I mean, I, like, at, at I what point, really, in our history, have we have we looked at the word of a of an eleven year old and said they definitely know what's what? I know, I know. Yeah. There's all sorts like that. Uh, a nine year old who, um, you know, accused her own family. But you 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 do have to wonder, you know, so. But who was leading that? What had they yeah. promised her? You know, what, what, you know, and, and why? It's a terrible yeah. miscarriage of justice, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. to take the word of a nine-year-old and, and people's lives are in the balance. So there's so many different ways to explore this history and to learn from it, even in terms of sort of heresy and all the, the things that are going on right now. I won't get into it, but the, the denial of certain things and... sure. The, the political landscape, I think there are very clear uh, parallels to be found. And um, yeah, I, I think if we don't learn from the past, then we are just condemned to repeat it. I do think one one um, significant thing that we have learned from the past, though, is that these days, if someone declares that they that they wish to transform themselves into a cat, all of us are like, that sounds great. Could we, <laughs> like I... I would love to just like sunbeams and naps and, and yeah, yeah. Like let's, yeah. let's do the thing. Like, I'm I, up so, to that. Yeah. And we've kind of, we've culturally come around a little bit as far as I, I go. I am not cleaning that litter box. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you're going to, I mean, are we talking like if I transform into a cat, am I transforming into a Tracy sized cat or am I transforming <laughs> into a little like hides in the shoe box that just came from Amazon Either way, either way, I am not cleaning that litter box. All right, that's fair. That's fair. It certainly um, has its advantages, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like, yeah. I'm just, I just want tinned beef and to sleep in the sun. Thanks much. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm sleepy alone. So I, I have to ask because I get, I get really excited, and Patrick is so good at enduring me when I get excited about stuff. Um, he, he just sees it coming and he sits back and sighs because oh, Tracy. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I get really excited when I have the chance to talk to somebody else who's in the world of academe. And I, I know that you have studied Shakespearean cinema, um, but it also says film sequels. And I'm really, yeah. I'm interested in it. Like, so part of your oeuvre as a scholar has been the study of the sequel as a cinematic and theatrical experience. Like, walk me through that. Yeah, so that that's sort of another lifetime ago, but ah. yeah, I so but I yeah I did um, I wanted to do my PhD in creative writing, but it didn't exist back then. Whereas now I have loads of creative writing PhD students, but back then in the dark ages when I did my PhD, <laughs> um, yeah, so I I did the next thing that I liked, which was um, I, I really enjoyed Shakespeare, and I'd done I'd studied Shakespeare for my first degree. And I did film studies and and then, yeah, I was very interested in, I guess I was thinking of film sequels and less just the industrial sort of, you know, money-making, com- the commerce-driven side of film sequels. But I was interested in that experience and, and why we sort of love film sequels. And I was very interested in memory and nostalgia and yeah. repetition and the fear of the uh, the new and yeah, all of those sort of ideas that I think do underpin the sequel. It's not just, I mean, yes, I think there, there are many reasons that are commercially driven that mm-hmm. we, but you know, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, um it, it's all tied up in, in, in memory and um yeah. And I, I, I was very interested in trying to think about the sort of the formula for a sequel and, and, yeah. and how that's because I could see, 
connections with that. I mean, at one point, I remember going to the cinema and every single film was a sequel. So, <laughs> like, this is, well, yeah, I hope you're like starting in the middle, unless you've, yes. unless you've been here for the last one. Yeah. yeah. I, so, I got to wonder if, if from your more, um, analytical perspective if there's kind of like a venn diagram overlap between um certainly the sequ- the concept of a sequel is is not new they've been around for a long mm-hmm. time I mean, hell you can look at a lot of shakespeare's work and like the the henriad as a kind of yeah. sequence of sequels and things like yeah. that right yeah. but if we now we're in a world of reboots that's yeah. you know in a television level yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you patrick <laughs> um so yeah um and i wonder like how does does the reboot exist do you think in the same sphere of nostalgia hunger as the sequel or do you think it's scratching something different i i think that all the different uh kinds of remakes or adaptations or reboots and all of that i think i think there are definite you know the overlapping ideas of nostalgia and memory i mean I suppose I'm like a lot of people though when i see like when i heard they were going to remake home alone i was just disgusted how can you remake <laughs> home alone it's it's sacrilege <laughs> but um yeah I mean, i'm also fascinated from a practical level um of, of how to do it because i mean i've talked about this before and patrick's going to remember this but um my my literary agent because patrick and i are both authors and have books and such as well um my literary agent has often commented on how many plots of books or films would not work in an age of cell phones. And um, last year during uh, our first full go around of quarantine was when my daughter, who is 10 now, discovered Home Alone. And she started streaming it relentlessly for the entire month of November and December and January. And weirdly, it happened again this summer. (laughs) Um, And so like, I've seen a lot of Home Alone. Also, to my horror, she thinks the second movie is better. We'll just, oh no! <laughs> we will just table that wrong opinion for now. Indeed, um, yes. Yeah, but but in any case, I, I kept watching it over and over and thinking about what my agent talks about sometimes with cell phones because a lot of the texts that she represents are, are also YA, and of course, yeah. you know, YA narratives if they're contemporary in any way, there's got to be cell phones. Yeah. Um, and I thought to myself, how the hell would this story ever happen? If anyone had it, because there's that whole thing where there's like, give me change. I got to work here on a phone bank over in. And if you're you're nine year olds at home, you just WhatsApp them. You know, I mean, honestly, you could like Uber a babysitter or something. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to throw a huge wrench into all Mm. of this. Oh, no, because there is the fan theory that's out there. It's out there. People talk about this. Uh, Kevin didn't want anyone to come home. Kevin wanted to hurt those guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is this Kevin, is the dark Kevin narrative. This, this is this is right. There is a there is a side to Kevin that that we aren't really seeing because he had plenty of opportunities to ask for help, to seek help, to call the cops. He never did it. He wanted oh. to protect his home. He, he was sort of astoundingly sadistic yeah. at the, the yeah. level of pain being caused. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't he like nine or ten or? Even I, I think he's supposed yeah. to be. I think he's supposed to be nine in the first yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my daughter. And I'll nine. just. I, I just. I just don't buy it. I. I think. Um, give her two hours, and should be. You know, should be really desperate, but should be. Should be WhatsApping me, Mom. Where are you? Right. <laughs> right. Which goes back to the whole like. I, impossible. If, 
the the reboot i think is going to have to get if, if it in fact happens is it, isn't thing. it already on disney plus i saw oh, something gosh, i don't know i, I saw home, home, home alone something on disney plus now uh, my my I, I I'm recalling that now. It was on the load screen for our Fire TV. Not not yeah. It's a different kid. It's a different kid. So yeah. I mean the the third Home Alone film. I don't think it's that, that it is. No, no. This this really is a different thing. Yeah. Um. So I know I know now what you're referring to. Um. Deirdre was about to click on it, and I was like, "You will not. <laughs> you will not." <laughs> so that uh, shall I, I not just, pass. I'm going to uh, pretend it doesn't exist. It didn't happen. Yeah, they it's didn't, they didn't remake it. No, um, no, it, no, none of this has happened. The, no, this... the mom is uh, from Schitt's Creek. Uh, yeah. What's her name? Oh, Catherine. Bebe. Yeah. Yes. O- O'Hara. Yes, yeah, so she's meant to be like I don't know, 35 in the, or maybe even younger in Home Alone, and yet she looks significantly older. So it's it's an interesting time capsule of of how women dressed and and, and how older they looked uh, back then. So I live. Um, I live in the Chicago area, and um, I'm, I'm about 30 minutes outside of the city proper. And the suburb where the uh, Home Alone film was filmed is called Barrington. And the the house that features in the film is still there. And I guess this year, um, there is a whole gig where Airbnb is allowing people to take out rooms for a single night in the in the McAllister home, the home alone house. Um, and, and it is a whole thing. Wow. Um, yeah, well, it's what I was gonna say is the actress is in a commercial right now. And where she's in a she's in a uh, big department store and she starts screaming Kevin 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 she's trying to find Kevin she's lost Kevin and <laughs> and finally you hear you hear someone say I'm right here and she turns and it's Kevin Hart <laughs> and he goes I okay. can't believe you lost another Kevin <laughs> and she says Well it's a holiday tradition and it's like some oh. credit card it's some yeah. credit card commercialism yeah. but it's cute oh. uh, we are running out of time are we going to do picks I think I think we could probably handle it very quickly. Okay, yeah. so so let's do picks of the week. Picks of the week. All right, Patrick, do you want to do you want to show CJ how it's done? Sure, I am. I am ridiculously enjoying Get Back on Disney Plus, which is the Peter Jackson uh, docu series in three parts. It's it's six hours or something. It's Peter Jackson, so it's going to be the maximum number of hours. (laughs) But that's that's him coming down from huge. I mean, because they they basically this is the Beatles uh, decided they were going to do a movie, an album, and a live TV show, and so there was going to be a documentary done. They they were being filmed all the time. They went to Twickenham Studios, and where Ringo was going to be shooting a film with Peter Sellers. And they, they used one of the, the stages there and they were going to be, you know, writing all new songs together. And then the idea was to write all these songs, learn them, play them live, release the documentary, release the TV show, release the, the album. So it's easy. It's time. easy. It's easy times for them. And so there's, there's just tons and tons and tons of video. They were recorded audio as well. Uh, there's also pictures because Linda was taking pictures and other photographers were there. Anyway, he, he brings it all down. He said like they did an 18 hour cut to just 
get to a one point and then they started cutting from there and they finally got it down to like six hours. Mm. It is amazing, especially for me as a, as a huge Beatles fan. Uh, I have actually talked to one of our patrons, Mark Boder about this cause he's a huge Beatles fan as well. We're both mm-hmm. taking it really slow. <laughs> so it's been, it's been on Disney plus for a while. I am, I just got to like the midpoint in the second part mm-hmm. and cause I'm just taking it slow, but it's, it's so candid. You get, uh, you get all these views of them. And it, it, what I find interesting is that you have the dynamic of Paul and John quite a bit going back and forth on everything. George mm. chimes in a little. Ringo always just sits there. <laughs> he rarely ever talks in any of the, like he never jumps in and says, no, I don't want to. And there's like, a, there is a point where they're talking about getting the Queen Elizabeth II, filling it with people from, from London and taking them to um, Tripoli. Wow. To film a live concert because they wanted English speaking people in the audience. And, and that's like when, when Ringo speaks up a little bit and George is like, you're all crazy, <laughs> but it's, it's just, it's so, it's so good. And then the other part that's really getting to me is watching them write songs from scratch. Yeah. That yeah. is blowing my mind. Cause mm-hmm. it's like the, the, if you've ever heard the song, get back, you know, yeah. Jojo was a man who thought he was a woman that started out as a protest song about mm-hmm. immigrants coming to London and the people freaking out and not wanting them there. So they started writing Get Back as a protest song about all the immigrants. And then over time, it just morphs into what it eventually becomes. Hmm. So it's stuff like that. And then you hear other things. The, uh, John pitches uh, his song, uh, The Road to Marrakesh, which is Jealous Guy that he, he does later. Yeah. He changes the words, but it's the same tune. Stuff like that. It's just awesome. I am I'm enjoying it immensely. So get back Disney Plus. Fantastic. All right. CJ, what are what are you wanting to recommend? What's your pick? I have just started to watch The Power of the Dog, Jane Campion's uh new film that's on Netflix, at least here in the UK, here which as well. is uh, really, really powerful. Um, I mean, I, I'm really, really keen on um, box sets. And, and I think, you know, we've had such, we've, you know, seen such amazing uh, sort of TV series that, you know, we've just never, never had. I think it's a real era of the TV, um, <clears throat> but nothing like a really good cinema piece just a really beautiful film that that employs all those you know wonderful layers of of I guess symbolism and acting and yeah I really I really loved that I thought that was a great great film so yeah I I recommend that (laughs) I also recommend running I've started running um and I I think uh it's um something that is is really good that I've used using this app called couch to 5k which we have oh, I have that yeah I've used that many oh. times yeah, yeah so yeah. there's there's a number of them someone just sent me the Nike app but I I really love that structured uh the way that you can just put your airpods in and you've got someone in your ear kind of coaxing you and you've also got someone breaking it down into mm-hmm. little chunks so when I yeah. started running I mean I I literally was out of breath after what 60 seconds at least 
<laughs> and I really needed those breaks. Like you would run for 60 seconds and then walk for 90. And mm-hmm. now I can run for 25 minutes, which wow. is great. Well done. done. Well That's done. nice. Yeah. That's awesome. That is so, great. So uh, Tracy, does Hobbs have a pick this week? You would think as he has showed up promptly for picks of the week <laughs> over here, but it appears that his present pick is my lap, um, <laughs> which is not, as we know, publicly traded or generally available. Um, so we'll, we'll have to go with not that. Um, my pick of the week is leagues away from what either of you have suggested. Um, but I, I mentioned um, a little while back when we were um, when we were talking that I've, I've been uh, to the UK before and, and was in Ireland for a while. And while I was there, um, it was really good and also simultaneously really bad for my tea habit. Um, Patrick knows I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm a tea drinker, always have been. Yeah. Um, and I particularly came away with a, it is not an exaggeration to say an addiction, to a very particular Irish tea that was not to be had in America for a really long time. Um, I spent about, oh, I guess 20 years uh, after coming back from uh, Ireland, having to order it from overseas and have it shipped to my house. Um, (laughs) And now, uh, wonder of wonders, some of my local grocery stores, in fact, most of my local grocery stores are now carrying Barry's Gold Label Tea, um, (laughs) which Thankfully, I can obtain for much more reasonable prices when I'm not paying international shipping. So um, (laughs) I bring this up because it being the holiday season and also end of semester coming up very rapidly between taking home grading um, on nights and weekends and trying to get things ready for the holiday. I'm pretty much just a a sort of sack full of caffeine at this point. So my pick for survival's sake is Berry's Gold Irish Tea. You really need it in your life if you're a tea sort of person who just needs to exist all as a sack of caffeine. <laughs> we we need to have a conversation. That's that's great. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm happy for you, but we do need to have a conversation because it's funny. My my grief counselor recently tried to pitch me on the idea of drinking different kinds of herbal teas, mm, uh, and I said I said I drink I I drink both kinds of tea, Lipton and Louisiana, uh, oh but only. Only Louisiana, if there's no Lipton available, you and you say these and, things to hurt me, like literally and with sugar just to hurt in me. it. And mm-hmm. she's like, "Well, what about hot tea?" I said, "I'll drink hot tea with milk and sugar in it." She says, I mean, well, that's, "I'm that's trying good. to get you away from the sugar." What do you think about herbal tea? And I said, "I think it's just basically the forest peeing in my cup." <laughs> I mean, in fairness, it's you giving the forest a bath. It's like you're you're taking the forest to a hot tub and saying, "Hey, baby, how's it going?" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Think yeah. of it like that. It's you know, you're gonna chat up the forest a bit. You know. <laughs> so I thought that was planned. That that was a conversation we had. <laughs> All right. Well, CJ, make sure we want to, we we do not want to to leave you uh, without making sure that our guests, um, at, or rather our, our listeners, know where to find our guests. So where where should they look for you and for their work here in this wide wide world? So my website is cjcookauthor.com, um, and I have a Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook account. So I guess Twitter is at cjesscook. Um, and Instagram with an E as well Mm -hmm. and Instagram is CJ cook underscore author. I think Facebook is CJ cook books. So yeah. Um, please say hi. And what's the name of the book again? The lighthouse witches available at all good bookstores. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, CJ. It was great fun. Thank you. You too. Have a great day. Thanks. And it's that time of the show where the episode is over, but you want more. Well, you can't stay here, but you don't have to go home either. Unless you want to go home, in which case you can totally go home. But you still need something to listen to, right? Because this episode is over. Well, have I got a deal for you. It's called Beyond the Trope. And it's a podcast that's eerily similar to this one. Hmm. Anyway, Giles and Michelle are the forces behind Beyond the Trope. And they have a new episode every week, just like we have a new episode every week. They talk with best-selling authors, award-winning actors, and other leaders in the creative community, and then share those interviews over at their website, beyondthetrope.com. Isn't that convenient? So again, if you're looking for something else to listen to now that this episode is over, go check them out at beyondthetrope.com. They even have a Patreon with extra stuff for people who back them, just like we do. So if you like what they do, visit their Patreon and back them. And as always, if you like what we do, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash functional nerds and back us. We have tons of cool things. Now, I've got this theory about Doctor Who Flux. It all begins back in a 1976 episode in the Tom Baker... Wait, wait, no, no, don't, don't fade out. This stuff is important. People want to hear this.